Welcome to Killing It, the Crimecast. I am Lux. And I am Sam. And we're both a little bit poorly, aren't we? We're both poorly. I was ill first, and then I got Lux ill. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, sound, you sound so unhappy. I am. I'm just, my body, it's too warm, but also too cold in here, and... Uh, this is what my voice sounds like, so you yeah. can imagine how I'm feeling. But you know, what's, you know what's going to cheer us up? A little bit of murder. Oh, yes. Oh, good. That's nature's medicine. Yeah, it really is. I mean, stop stops you feeling ill immediately, because you know what? You're dead. Yeah. I mean, we're not getting murdered, but nature's medicine is murder. Feels like I'm getting murdered. Oh, my God. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, do we have any anything to deal with at the beginning? Um, well, we're pre-recording this, so we've dealt with everything recently. Yeah. Just a reminder, like our Facebook page and email us your listener stories and buy our merch. Yeah, so we uh, Lux is going on a lovely holiday for like three weeks. Mm. So we've recorded several episodes in this course of two days. Uh, you're going to be getting those out. So if you, if you make a five-star review and you haven't had a shout-out yet, that's probably why. In a couple of weeks, when we release a new episode and we record again... We will do all of the shout outs that we need to. Yeah. Awesome. So we're just going to jump right in. Mm -hmm. I think you're starting today. I am. And I've got some content warnings. Okay, go. There's children who die. The youngest is four. Yeesh. Yep. There's also graphic descriptions of the death. Ooh. Uh, there's, yeah, there's just some gory stuff. There's also also sexual abuse and child abuse and stuff like that. You know what's so, really sad? What? Mine has child death as well. Oh, great. This is going to be a really dark episode. You're going to have to do your best as the funny one to make this not extra depressing. You're funny. You can be funny. You're the funny one, though. You're the Henry Zabrowski. I'm the Marcus <laughs> Parks. We That's know it. this. Okay. Oh, okay. Whatever. Right. Okay. So I am actually doing the case that I always talk about when I discuss the death penalty. And I know it's a controversial topic, but... For people like this killer, I am 100% in favour of them being removed from existence. So you already know a bit about this case because it's the one I always bring up. Yeah, it's it, I know it's my go-to. I don't know the details. I know I know the details of like post-crime almost, mm -hmm. but I don't know anything about the crimes. So there's not a lot of information about this guy on the internet. I you know Murderpedia is our go-to, and there wasn't a lot on there. So most of my information here is from the book Serial Killers: The Method and Madness of Monsters by Peter Vronsky. Probably my favorite ever true crime book. It's just so interesting. I've been reading it so slowly because I don't want to finish it, and I'm so close to the end now. And I just, I, I've just, I just don't want to. So I've been picking up other books to read in between because I don't want it to be over. It is a great book. It's so good. Okay, so this is the story of Peter Woodcock. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, what? He actually changes his name to David Michael Kruger later on. We don't know why he changed to David Michael, but Kruger we can assume because of all the Woodcock jokes. Because life as a woodcock was too hard. Oh, man. I'm really happy. And you say I'm the funny one. That was an outstanding pun. I came up with it just now as well. I, you can read my notes. It's not on there. Very Look at nice. me go. Right. So he was... Peter Woodcock was born on the 5th of March in 1939 in Toronto, Canada. Not much is known about his mother as he was given up for adoption when he was one month old. But we do know she was a teenager. He was placed in various foster homes when he was a baby, not really forming a bond with any of his foster parents. 
Now, Vronsky has a chapter on serial killers as infants and how important early relationships are. So I'm actually going to read an excerpt from page 270 of this book. Ooh, 270. This ain't no pop-up book. Oh, this ain't no pop-up. This is a hefty little serial killer Bible. Ahem. I'm going to read it in a, in a voice as well, just to make oh, it. okay. But just because there's not a lot that's fun about this case, so let's try and have fun while we still can. As it grows, an infant begins to distinguish between strangers and parents and between various familiar people, and it seeks close contact with its parents in a bonding process. These early stages are crucial to the adult personality because it is believed that 50% of humans, quote, life knowledge, which forms the behavioural and personality components, is acquired in the first 12 months and another 25% in the second year. The remaining 25% of that life knowledge is acquired between the ages of three and death. It is believed that infants who are deprived of human affection and touch can be substantially developed psychopaths by age two, lacking a normally developed range of human emotions such as sympathy, empathy, remorse, and affection. You know I'm going to put some funny music under that. Oh, do it. Yeah, you know, go on. You know I am. That was a great voice. Thank you. At the beginning of this, you were like, you're the funny one. You've been making sick puns. I'm the one who does accents and voices. That was sick. That was a great voice just there. From what I did understand, be a psychopath from the age of three. Or was it two? Two. Two. Two years you old. Can you can be a fully psychopath. formed psychopath if you don't form relationships properly, basically. And this is relevant because so far, Baby Woodcock... <laughs> Sorry. It's, uh, we'll, we'll stop giggling eventually. Eventually. Uh, he hasn't made a bond with anyone. For the first year of his life, he didn't sleep well and he cried constantly. And I'm just there like, bitch, same, but yeah. I'm not killing anyone. Yeah, but you're an adult as well. <laughs> and you still do that. That's my point. <laughs> um, he stopped after a year, so I don't know why he's still upset. <laughs> and after he turned one, he became afraid of anyone approaching him. So apparently he like couldn't, talk properly and so he just sort of made like animal weird whiny noises and then if anyone came near to him he'd just scream so I'm imagining someone in the street being like oh what a cute baby I'm walking up and he just goes it's just like oh what a cute hello little baby Peter like a little devil like, child oh okay and then they get a bit closer and he's just <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's so funny it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good image to have so then he's around two, um, he was beaten by a foster parent and he ended up in hospital with a neck injury. Oof. So not only has he not had a close bond with anyone so far, he's also been beaten up. So, and this is by the time he's two, so he could very plausibly be a fully fledged psychopath already. Yeah. Uh, and then when he was three, he was fostered by Frank and Susan Maynard. Oh, I forgot to play the game. Oh, the game. I have the game as well. What's your game? So... Do you remember when we were in the airport on the way back from Dublin and I was like, who's the guy who killed people and he rode a bicycle and the paint oh, chips on the bike? Oh, and you put it on Twitter, yeah. Oh, I finally figured it out. It was Arthur Shawcross, the Gen Genovese, Genese river killer. I don't know how to put it. I've only ever Genesee? seen it. Genesee? I don't know. Yeah, probably that Maybe, one. I don't know. Like, um, I literally, actually, I literally had like to go back through a book that I had read to find him because the internet did not help me. Wow. I reread some chapters of a book because I knew it was probably in this one book. 
But yeah, a lot of people said Green River Killer and it wasn't. Yeah, we got a couple of responses and like suggestions of people trying to help you because I'm sure all true crime fans out there are like, are very aware of how infuriating mm. it is when you can't quite remember the name of someone. Oh my God, it bothered me so much. It literally bothered me so much that I stayed up in the early hours of the morning reading through this book and scouring the internet and doing the thing where you type into Google and in capital letters so that it will definitely include the term ladies bicycle. Oh, it was so annoying. Anyway, so it's got that guy in it. Mm -hmm. So the reason I went into a bit of a story is because I want you to know about the bike thing because that's the link there. Yeah. And then Ed Kemper. Okay. In a number of ways. In a number of ways. So I'm thinking, obviously terrible relationship with the mother. I mean, she beat him. No, no, no. The, he now gets a, fostered by Frank and Susan Maynard. Oh, okay, okay. So these, this is a new couple who, so far, we don't know anything bad about. Are they going to be really bad? Does he develop a mad attachment to the mother? Well... Okay, does he kill... Is he, is he a displacement killer because he wants to kill his mum? Arguably. Kind of. It, it's, it's more that she's, like, super overbearing. Okay, that's that's Kemper and Gein and Brudos and yeah, yeah a it, it's a lot of people. But that's that's the tenuous relationship with his mother. Right. But then there are some other aspects that are quite Kemper as well. Okay, which we will see. Awesome. So because he's quite Kemper, you can imagine his relationship with his mother isn't great. Yeah. Um, but and because he was a super weird child, she was really protective of him. So you know, I said about the animal noises and the screaming and stuff. He grew out of that. But he then started to walk really weirdly and he would swing his arms and the arm that he was swinging, he would take a step with the same, the leg on the same side. Oh, he walked like a, like, a, like a bear. That's how bears walk. So like oh, dogs yeah. and that, they walk back leg left, front leg right. Yeah. And bears will walk like both left, both right. Yeah, he did that. Like if, a soldier almost. If you try oh, no, opposite to a soldier. Actually, honestly, if you're listening to this walking, right, if you're listening to this in headphones on your way to work, on your way to anything, try walking where your right hand swings forward while your right foot goes forward. It's really weird, isn't you it? You will look so weird. It's one of those things where it's just it's a small thing, but you notice it and you're like, why am I so uncomfortable with this person? Yeah, yeah. So he starts doing that and he's just weird in other ways as well. So she gets super protective. But when he's around seven, Susan Maynard was pushed down a staircase. Oh dear. It's, it's, no, it's nothing that interesting. Was it, it anything to do with an owl? <laughs> Yeah, it was an owl. It, was it an owl? Oh, yeah, it was an owl. No, it was Imagine a. If it was actually an owl. It was an attempted mugging, but it didn't say that the mugger was human. So yeah, it was an not. attempted owling. Um, <laughs> but following the fall, she began beating Woodcock. So he's Ooh. got this relationship with her, his mother, where she's really protective of it. <laughs> beating Woodcock. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> That's not fair. You can't say things like that. This is such serious subject matter. I'm an adult. Why am I giggling at this? I am a grown ass man. Why am I giggling at this? Because it's funny. <laughs> I'll just I'll just power through. So from the ages of seven and twelve, he receives treatment for his quote emotional problems. Mm -hmm. And he had this weird and worrying tendency to just wander off. And sometimes he just wouldn't come home and he'd sometimes get really far out of like the city or whatever. And he didn't seem like he was trying to run away. Like a greyhound. Do they do that? They do do that. Oh. Continue. <laughs> Fun fact. Fun fact. Yeah, the only explanations I can see are that he was trying to hide from other kids because they were mean to him. Because yeah. obviously he's just a weirdo. Like, it seems he's, like he's, he's asking for it with his walk. It seems like he's really just trying to isolate himself. Yeah. Um, and also, he had a vivid fantasy world, which I will get into later. Right. 
So Peter attended a school for the emotionally disturbed and during this time he had a sort of sexual awakening. So apparently he began acting on sexual urges that he had uh, with other other kids that were around and he he had full-on sex with a 12-year-old girl when he was 13. Jesus. He says it's consensual, but I'm thinking if kids can't consent, then if there are two kids, they can't consent. Yeah, that, that, I feel like that's a grey area. Yeah, I mean, it's neither like, of them can give consent. Neither of them are old enough to give consent. So even though it's not statutory rape or anything, because one of them's not yeah. of the age of consent and the other one isn't, I feel like their consent is still meaningless. Therefore, it's not consensual. That's pretty intense. Yeah. So he leaves this school for the emotionally disturbed uh, children when he's around 15 and he gets sent to a public high school. Now, there's a lot of school switching throughout this whole story, so I haven't gone into it much. Um, but there's some testimony from teachers at this one public school that he goes to after after the emotionally disturbed school. So yeah. the kids didn't ver- like him very much. They kind of knew he'd gone to a school, like a weirdo school, you know, air quotes. Um, yeah. And, you know, kids are mean. You can understand what would happen, right? But apparently he was really smart. He'd often get like 100% on his tests and the adults found him charming and intelligent. Just like a certain Mr. Kemper. Yeah, I see that. I see that. Kemper had a genius level IQ. And teachers and adults really liked him. And who, who what, what, um, what other group of, uh, of adults really liked him, Sam? The police. Huh. Did the police really like your gentleman? Huh. Looks like I played the game quite well this week. I'm really pleased with myself. Yeah, all right, mate. <laughs> cool it. I know. Such a bad winner. You're just there, just like, yeah, I did well. No, I was yes, I so did. pleased with myself. Okay, Come yeah, on. you did it's really a, well. It's a good connection. Anyway. No, the really, really good one was the one you did last week. That was an accident, though. That was an accident, but it was fantastic. It was accidentally really good. But it was really good. Well, thanks. It's all right. Um, so, yeah, he would go to the police station all the time, and he would just chat to the police officers about police stuff. Police, 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 police. Yeah? Yep, yep. And his wanderings would continue, but he now had a bike. Yeah. I remember when I got a bike. It's a good time, isn't it? I could murder all I liked. All you liked. Uh, Just cycle away without a care in the world. <laughs> um, and like I said before, he's got a vivid fantasy life. And one of these fantasies was that he was the head of a bicycle gang called the Winchester Heights Gang. And there were 500 boys on bikes that would follow him whilst he rode his bike to the outskirts of the towns. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. What? I don't know. <laughs> like, what, a biker gang? But, but like a bicycle gang, not like a bike. Yeah, a bicycle gang. Yeah. So it's like, it's not the sons of anarchy, it's the sons of mild annoyance. Yeah. It's literally just like, oh, let's go tear up the city. Let's ride our bikes really fast. <laughs> Let's go to a 10 mile an hour zone and technically be breaking the speed limit. <laughs> yeah, so that was his, uh, his fantasy life. Now on these bike rides, Woodcock would find children and strangle them until they passed out. And then he'd take off their clothes and just sort of look at their bodies. Oh, that's so uncomfortable. And these attacks didn't get reported because when you're a kid, you don't really know what's going on. It's an older kid that's doing it. You don't really know what, you, you know, it feels wrong, but you don't know why. And also yeah. it was like quite a conservative town. So I think maybe if they did tell their parents, their parents would probably be like, oh, it was just a game or just like, oh, let's not bring this up. Or, yeah, you have you like know? that linguistic lacuna where you're like, you don't really know yeah. what you're meant to say yeah. or whether it's wrong. You don't even know the word for yeah. like sexual assault or, you know, molestation or yeah. even just like peeping Tom. Like you literally don't know. Yeah. 
So whilst you know it feels wrong, you just have no idea. So in March of 1956, he's still 17 at this point, he picks up a 10-year-old girl and takes her to a ravine. Now I want you to read this quote for me, please. Yep, no worries. Do it in a Canadian accent as well, if you can. Okay, I will. Try to put some levity in. Yeah, because this is dark. Mine's quite dark as well. This, oh, by the way, just ahead, I think this is actually, it can't be a coincidence that we're both ill and we've both been like, like lying in bed and our cases are both really dark. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's just us feeling like the world is evil. Yeah. So this is, again, from Peter Vronsky's Serial Killers, The Method and Madness of Monsters. Uh, this is a really dark quote. I know. That's why I want you to do an accent. You really want me to do a, like a funny... Okay, I'm going to do yes, like please. a really like Minnesota-Canadian, that border of yes, North America. Please. Okay. Oh, I did have plans to cut her up and see what she looked like inside. We got lost in the ravine in the dark. It seemed to be getting more important. I had a penknife with me. When you're naive, a penknife seems enough to kill with, eh? <laughs> There's no way I added that. It was a turning point. I was already troubled with my fantasies and dreams. This 10-year-old girl... I did have plans of killing her. It didn't dawn on me that she would die. Well, I knew she would die, but that would be the extent of it. I wanted to look at the arm and see how many muscles attached to it. This was going to have to be a very thorough anatomical lesson, although I didn't believe I would have been able to name a third of the things I would have seen. Eh? Eh? Oh, that's so dark. Yeah. I'm glad you made me do that in an accent, because that was real dark. Yeah, it, w it would have just been plain yeah. old horrible. If I'd done it in my normal voice, that just would have been scary. Yeah. I mean, it's still kind of scary. It's though. still very scary. Eh? 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 So he doesn't actually end up killing her, which is good. Yeah, good. He just returned her home like three hours later than she was supposed to get home. And nothing happened because even though it was essentially a kidnapping, she wasn't harmed. She was just late. So nothing happened. Then 15th of September, 1957. Seven-year-old Wayne Mallet went missing for six hours before his body was found. Jesus. So he goes out to play, and then six hours later, they find his corpse. How old was your guy, was Woodcock, when he first murdered? So this is his first the, murder, yeah, and he's 17 going on 18. Ooh. Or, like, 18. This is crazy. Our cases have a lot of parallels. Really? A lot of parallels. Huh. But carry on, carry on. So, we're talking about Wayne Mallet, yeah. Um, he... This is where it gets kind of graphic, these these cases. Um, I'm trying to keep it as nice as I can. Yeah, good. I think we'll, we'll just get through it. We'll Let's just power it. through. So he'd been strangled. His face had been pushed into the dirt. There were two bite marks on his body. He'd been undressed and redressed, although there was no evidence of sexual assault. Feces was found next to him and pennies were scattered nearby. And bike tracks were found near the scene. Right. Now, Why the pennies? I don't know. Uh, you don't know? Was that was that like his first attempt at a calling card? I think he was just it, like, I think I'll it was be the penny slayer. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's some probably something to do with his fantasy world because he does it later on with paper clips as well. Okay. So I, I didn't see an explanation, and like I said on the internet, there was very little. Yeah. So there wasn't an explanation in the book. There wasn't an explanation online. There probably is one, but it probably doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Whatever it is. Now, a boy is actually found guilty of this murder. Really? But we don't have a lot of time to go into that. Um, essentially, a boy's found guilty of this murder. And then when uh, when they find out that it's Woodcock later on, they sort of say to the boy, like, why did you confess? That was so stupid. And he was just like, uh, I was coerced. Like, what do you mean? Why did I confess? Like, it was pretty much police brutality. And the judge was just sort of like, oh, you stupid boy. It's all your own fault that you're in prison. Oh, ah, I shouldn't have confessed. All you had to do was tell us you didn't do it. And yeah, it's just, 
something interesting to look into if you want. Yeah. Um, but something we won't be touching on much more. So three weeks after Wayne Mallett's murder, nine-year-old Gary Morris is found dead. Again, he'd been strangled and he'd been beaten to death. There was a bite mark on the body. Paper clips were scattered nearby. He'd been undressed and redressed and witnesses had seen him riding on the handlebars of a teenage boy's bike. Right. 19th of January, 1957. Four-year-old Carol Voice was found dead. If you are squeamish or you don't want to hear about something really, really horrific, fast forward about 30 seconds. It gets bad. Okay. Sam, you can't fast forward. You just have to listen. So I just want you to know that I'm only going into this because it shows escalation and it's important to the case later on. Her cause of death was a branch being pushed through her vagina. She had been strangled until she passed out. Woodcock had undressed her, put his fingers inside of her vagina, also put his fingers in her eyes and he'd kicked her in the head. Again, witnesses saw a teenage boy on a bike riding away from the scene. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Just everyone take a breath. Yeah, okay, all right, all right, okay. That was really intense, okay. Ooh, all right, continue. Let's move past this. Okay, so, luckily, Woodcock was arrested after this. Um, two days after Carol's murder, actually, uh, the bike evidence. Obviously, the police knew Woodcock. They knew that he was the kid who went round on his bike, and obviously, witness testimony probably had a description of the teenage boy. So. Yeah. They arrested him and he confessed almost immediately. He said that his fear was that his mother would find out, quote, mother was my biggest fear. I didn't know if the police would let her at me. Ooh. Yeah. So he's a bit messed up, dear. I feel like I should get less annoyed at my mum. Yeah. Like, honestly, after, do <laughs> after doing these podcasts and after seeing these people like Ed Kemper and like Ed Gein and like Peter Woodcock, like these people... Who have like who are so terrified of their parents that they're just like I killed all these people. I don't care about the fucking police. Yeah, I, I hope the police, the police don't let my mum at me. Yeah, police, can you hold my mum back? Yeah, Jesus Christ, I want to go hug my mum. Yeah, like, she did fine. <laughs> she did great. She could have been way worse and yeah. been fine. Yeah. Um. Also, very Kemper esque. Throughout the entire time he's committing crimes, he continues to visit the police and checks in on how the investigations are going. Classic, yeah, that's very Kemper. Yeah. He was found not guilty by reason of insanity. I mean, fair. He He's definitely got some issues. Yeah. He underwent psychiatric treatment for 35 years. Whoa. 35. I think he's around wow. 53 when the next portion of our story happens. Can I just say, this is insane. Our case has so many parallels. Really? It's crazy. Okay. So, I don't know why I reacted like that. Yeah, you were just like, you were just, I was like, oh, this is really a really fun fact. And you were like, Mm -hmm. Sorry, in my brain, yes. in my brain, I reacted, but my body's so tired that it just forgot to react, and then I thought I had reacted. And we are both quite ill. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm doing my best. Actually, since we're recording these like over a couple of days, for other people, it's going to seem like I've been ill for like three weeks. Yeah, we've I haven't. Been, we've been ill for like a week and a half, maybe like a week almost and a bit. two. So yeah, he's treated for 35 years, and not all of these treatments are, you know, superb. Um, I would like you to actually explain what Ted Kaczynski went through with the dyads treatment, which was the personality breaking therapy. That was insane. Yeah. So Ted Kaczynski, while he was at university, went through a series of tests and they wanted to try this on geniuses to see if they could break people down. Ted Kaczynski being the Unabomber for yeah, anyone who doesn't know. Um, so what they did was they got 
these students, Ted Kaczynski was one of them, who were very, very high performers, very high intelligence. They'd get them to write a thesis on like morals or their ethics on certain ideas. And then what they'd do is they'd bring in lawyers to tear through these um, writings. So like these are, these are writings that come from the deepest part of themselves. They're being very open, very honest. It's their most fundamental beliefs about the yeah. world and what is good and what is true. It's the things that make them who they are. Yeah. And then they got a bunch of lawyers to come in and just rip it to shreds. Mm -hmm. And it left these people so psychologically vulnerable that so many of them had breakdowns. I mean, Ted Kaczynski was the fucking Unabomber. Yeah. And, and part of it is because of this. Yeah. Apparently when he went to uni and after these tests, he was a different person. Yeah. He'd always been quite reserved, quite quiet, borderline autistic. You know, he had this uh, emotional gap between people. But that moment where he was emotionally honest and he was destroyed killed him. Yeah. So that is what Woodcock went through. Jesus. He had some of the, so they tested it on on these Harvard kids. Apparently they thought it was a good idea to put it on actual psychiatric patients. He also was given LSD and was put on a number of different personality breaking drugs on top of that as well. So I'm guessing not all at the same time, but over a period of 35 years, he underwent various different personality breaking type treatments slash drugs. That is intense. Yeah, um, but Woodcock was a smart guy. And as we already knew from how well he did at school, and he sort of knew, like Kemper, again, he knew how to act with the people in charge to make them seem like he was getting better. Yeah. He also used his brains to manipulate others at the psychiatric facility, as in other inmates. Quote, he formed an imaginary gang, The Brotherhood, he convinced inmates that he had contact with the mythical group on the outside. In order to be initiated into the gang, inmates had to perform oral sex on Woodcock and bring him gifts of cigarettes, end quote. That's very manipulative. Yeah. That's crazy. So because he was so good at manipulating people, the authorities actually ended up moving him to a medium security prison in 1990 with the aim to reintegrate him into society. Yeah. At this new facility, he was given a three-hour pass to leave as part of his reintegration. He was supposed to go into town and buy pizzas for the other inmates and bring them back to the facility. He wasn't allowed to just wander off his, on his own, though, which I always thought when I, was, when I heard about the case. So doing more research, I actually realised he wasn't allowed just on his own. He was supposed to have someone go with him to keep an eye on him. But sneaky as Woodcock was... He noticed a loophole which allowed him to choose a former inmate of the facility as his supervisor. So he chose Bruce Hamill, a man who'd murdered an old lady but was out on parole after having been treated at the facility. What a weird fucking loophole. And Mark, Bruce Hamill, Mark Hamill. <laughs> he chose ce celebrity actor Mark Hamill. <laughs> Who better to be my chaperone than Luke fucking Skywalker? Duh. He'll fight the darkness within me. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, so Bruce Hamill was also wanting to be part of the Brotherhood. He was one of the men who, while in the facility, was trying to get into the Brotherhood. So not only is it a weird loophole that you can have somebody who was formerly a patient, but it's a weird loophole that you can choose somebody who you psychologically manipulated whilst you were in the same facility. I feel like the guards should have known about this Brotherhood thing and should have known that Bruce wanted to be part of it. Yeah. So uh, it's all a bit of a, an oversight. In any case, on the 13th of July, 1991, Hamill and Woodcock went for a stroll on the hospital grounds and they hid weapons that Hamill had brought in some bushes. 
They then signed Woodcock out, ready for his first taste of freedom in 35 years. Jesus. Now, Dennis Kerr was also an aspiring member of the Brotherhood, and he had been promised a $100 loan from Woodcock to buy a set of used drums. Now, he'd arranged to meet Woodcock near the weapon-laden bushes, obviously he didn't know they were full of weapons, in order to receive the money. As Hamill and Woodcock were waiting for Kerr to arrive, Hamill got high on sleeping meds. All right. Standard. When Kerr did arrive, Woodcock beat him with a pipe wrench until he was unconscious. This gets graphic, so again, fast forward if you don't like the blood and guts. Then the two men took a hatchet and a knife and hacked at Kerr's body and cut off his head. They got naked and sodomized the corpse, and they also chanted over Kerr's body because the entire ritual was supposedly Hamill's initiation into the Brotherhood. Oh, my God. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That was his... Oh, that's insane. Yeah. And obviously, of course, the Brotherhood doesn't exist. Yeah. So Woodcock's thought process is beyond me here. Yeah, it's so... I don't understand. I can't tell if he knows what he's doing or if he's so engrossed in his imaginary world that he actually thinks that this is going to help he's going to initiate i i have no idea in any case he was planning on actually killing hamill after they killed care um so that leads me to believe that maybe he doesn't think the brotherhood is real and he just wanted to have someone to help him get weapons yeah that makes sense um and hamill passed out from all the meds that he'd taken but Woodcock was too tired and um, couldn't get up the strength to... That was a p- poor erection joke. That I mean, was terrible. I know. But essentially, he didn't have the strength to, to kill Hamill. He was just like, oh, fuck it, one's enough. So he puts on his blood-soaked clothes, walks two miles to the police station and hands himself in. Fuck. Apparently, he masturbated in his cell at least six times in the first ten hours of custody. So he's just having a good old time he's like yeah did a murder yeah yeah all that blood yeah yeah awesome ah fuck didn't get the pizzas (laughs) shit damn so that's the end of our story woodcock and hamill were both granted an insanity plea in december of 1992 and were sent back to a psychiatric facility although i would like to leave it on a lightish note so i do have another reading for you to do in a canadian accent Canadian accent, okay. Uh, my Canadian accent isn't that great. Oh, I love it. I think it's good. Can you let me know if it's good? Oh, by the way, I know you guys say you love my accents, and I'm really, really happy because I love doing accents. But if there's one that you think is like, if I say I'm not sure about it, let me know if it's all right. Because I'm doing like a Canadian, like, oh, oh, sorry. Oh, Ooh, sorry. Oh, oh, okay. oh, gee, oh, 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 gee. <laughs> like, because that's the stereotype that I have. But he's Can- got Canadian cousins. Yeah, I have Canadian. He knows have, that they don't sound like that. I have like a that. lot of Canadian family. <laughs> But that's just what I'm doing. So let me know. If it's terrible, let me know. If it's good, let me know. If it's terrible, but you would like him to continue doing it anyway, that's also okay. So this is a reading, this is a quote from Peter Woodcock, right? Yeah, and he's talking about the morning after his masturbation fueled night following him handing himself in. Okay, okay. Come the morning, I wake up and they're serving bacon and eggs because it's Sunday, eh? I haven't had bacon and eggs in something like five years. I thought to myself, huh, fancy this. All I had to do to get bacon and eggs was commit murder. You literally have to kill somebody if you want a good breakfast in this system. <laughs> so I thought that would bring some levity. I love that. So at least he had a sense of humour, even though he was a big pile of stinky. Oh, shit. that... Okay, fair enough. So yeah, I like, That was a really good story. That is... 
insane. So the reason I always bring that up for um, death penalty stuff is because people are like, oh, what about, you know, rehabilitation, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, this guy was in the system for 35 fucking years. Granted, he didn't have the best treatment. But arguably, even if he had, he still would have been murderous. He spent 35 years being what could be perceived as punished for what he did, being rehabilitated, in air quotes. But also things were happening to make him, like, get away from the idea that, like, at some point he had to think, I am here because of what I did. Yeah. And then he gets out, and in the first hour, he murders someone in the most horrific way. In the first three hours, but yeah. Well, I mean, but that's insane. Yeah. So that is the case that I always, and I know that that's a very specific case. And I know that there are factors that could be taken into account, like better psychiatric treatment, better supervision, all of this. But it's still one that just kind of haunts me. Yeah. And I always bring it up in, in debates like that, just, just as a sort of, what about the people who just can't be treated? Yeah. So that's my case. Awesome. Should we have a break and yep. then come back to yours? We'll have a little break. Okay. And we are back. Hello. We are back from your advertisement. But if you're a Patreon, we just had a, like a, a one second gap. And now we're saying we're back. I was listening to our Patreon feed yesterday, actually, because I like um, I like to listen to the episodes afterwards, see what we can do better. And I didn't realise that I was listening to the Patreon feed and not the normal feed. And I had a little freak out. I was like, oh, the adverts aren't working. I forgot to put the adverts in. Oh, no, people are going to think we're fools. And yeah, but I also, I'm just fancy. We I'm make it. Feed. We make it. I, I, want, I want to listen to it without ads. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, but I didn't realise I'd clicked on it on because we've got the same artwork for each thread. What do you call it? Feed. Feed. Oh, I'm so technologically advanced. Nailed it. Yep. So I'm going to get onto my case. My case is a little long, so I'm going to speed through it so you don't have like a two-hour episode. I'm sure they'd love a two-hour. I'm sure episode. you would like that. Um, so this is the story of a guy called Caetano Santos Godino. Quetano Santos Godino. That's a lovely name. It is lovely. He's not a lovely guy, though. No, I can imagine not if we're talking about him on this podcast. Uh, content warning, there is children death and a bit of sexual assault and a little bit of graphic violence. I mean, if you've listened thus far, you're probably desensitised by yeah. now. I have the game. Oh, the game, the game. Do we need a jingle for the game? It's coming. Da, 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 it's coming. It's coming. That's going to be the jingle if you don't come up with one. So, you know, uh, Annoyingly, I'm literally going to make it in like the next couple of days. But I, you'll only hear it in like four weeks. So, sorry. Oh, yeah, because um, we're pre-recording so many. Yeah. So, this guy is a cross between Pee Wee Gaskins Ooh. and Carl Panzram. Oh, my God. Is he, sh- is he short? Yes. Okay. He's very short. <laughs> but also, he is... Pee Wee Gaskins had a sort of like this uh, a tendency to exaggerate certain things in his testimony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also Karl Panzram ha- went to a very, very vicious, had a very vicious upbringing in education and that really affected him. Okay. So yeah. those are the parallels we're drawing. Yes. Okay, cool. So, Keitano was born on Halloween, 1896. Oh, that's some spooky shit right there. Yeah. In Buenos Aires, Argentina. <laughs> his parents were Calabrian immigrants who moved to escape poverty and they had 10 kids. Whoa. That's so many kids. That is a stretchy vagina. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and um, by the way, that's a, that's a myth. The vagina is a muscle and it does get tight again after birth. Just, no, no, Sam, you're giving me the, you're giving me the hand. But you know what? People need to know. Okay, okay. I'll leave it in. Thank you. Um, Keitana was the youngest of all these siblings. Imagine having ten, having nine older siblings. 
you would just be bully. Man, I'd want to be a serial killer, to my, be honest. My brother and I were so mean to, to our sister, and there was only two of us, and it still really upset her. So, oof, I, I can understand a bit where, yeah. this guy, where this guy goes down the wrong path. Yeah. So um, his father, Fio- Fiore, yeah, was a professional musician and an amateur alcoholic. <laughs> um, amateur in the sense that he didn't get paid for it, not that he was bad at it. He was very good at being an alcoholic. He would play shows with his guitar, and one night he got a little overexcited and caught syphilis off one of his adoring fans. Oh my gosh. Uh, at this time, penicillin hadn't even been discovered, so he was he was kind of fucked. Or more accurately- Hey, she was kind of fucked. Was that the joke you were about to make? <laughs> no, that's not the joke I was gonna make. No, it isn't. I actually wasn't gonna make that. That would've been a good joke though. No, but what I was gonna say was, uh, he contracted syphilis before the conception of our protagonist anti-hero, Keitano. So it would- Do, Does that mean it gets passed on? It basically means it caused serious health issues as okay. he grew up. Uh, the first of which was an illness called enteritis. Uh, it's basically an inflammation of a small intestine. He got this literally all the time and it took him close to death as a young child a number of times. That does not sound fun. There are a number of ways to contract enteritis, but it basically boils down to the fact that his immune system was outstandingly weak. He was so susceptible to like a common, normally not fatal illness that it almost killed him. Oof. But it wasn't just the illness that would nearly kill him. Fiore was a very violent drunk man. He would beat all of his 10 children mercilessly. Uh, Why would you do that? They're, there's more of them than you. They're going to rebel at some point. It, the, the, a mutiny was on the cards, but apparently he was a fearless leader and uh, he had them under his thumb. Mm. Um, Keitano's brothers were the eldest and they received severe beatings, but Keitano was the youngest. So what do you think happened to him? Sex? <laughs> I don't know. What? I thought you were get, like the way that you phrased it. I would have guessed that he got the most beatings, but the way you phrased it, it's like the opposite of beatings. No, his brothers would beat him because uh... they would take their anger out on him. Yep, 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 yep. That makes more sense. That than, makes a lot than, more uh, sense. Molestation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Um, later on, the doctors would find twenty-seven scars on Keitano's head alone from his head. father. On his <gasps> head alone from his father and older brothers. So that's a bit about his home life. Uh, let's get down to the school. Um, actually, let me tell you a bit about Keitano at this point in his life, right? As he's about to head off to school. He is five years old. He is incredibly short for his age. I mean, like, five-year-olds are all tiny. But this kid was like, he barks and yaps, and yes, I carry him around in my handbag oh tiny. Oh, my gosh. Like, he's like a little chihuahua in, in Legally Blonde tiny. Okay. He had extremely long arms that reached down below his knees. No, so he was like tiny, but like orangutan yeah. proportioned. He had a very small head, even for his size. I could only assume he was like subatomic at that point. But one thing he had that would stick with his reputation even after everything that happened, he had some big old crazy sticky out ears. That's Massive a really unfortunate ears. look when you put all of those together. Yeah, he drew the short straw in genetics in general. Quite literally because he's a short. Uh, yeah, he man. couldn't reach the long ones. Uh, this would earn him eventually the serial killer nickname Leandro Ayala. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's A-J-A-L-L-A. So I think it's Ayala or Ayala. I don't know. Ayala. What does it mean? It means Macrotius runt. Macrotius. Ooh, I like that. And Macrotus means big eared. That's a beautiful name. Right, the Macrotus runt. I love that. And we've got, can't, can't do it, Christy. Yeah. And then you've got Macrotus The Macrotus runt. runt. Yeah. You are a Macrotus runt. Yeah, Antonio Banderas. 
I don't know why. Um, he started school, and over the next three years, he would attend six different schools, very similar to your guy. Yeah. He was expelled from every single one for being troublesome, rebellious, and having a complete lack of interest in studying. I see, whereas my guy just kept quitting different yeah. schools because he was bullied too much. For those three years, because he just didn't care, and let's be fair, schooling wasn't exactly progressive back then, no one taught him how to read. Oh, no. Um, but, what, but what his complete lack of care, and apparently the teachers as well, allowed him to do was wander around the streets searching for real evil shit to do. He was a really evil little shit. So how, how old is he at this point? He's five. Whoa. Well, well no, he's, he's eight oh, okay. now, at the end of this. What made it easier for him to be evil is that everyone underestimated him. He was a weird looking kid with weird arms and was just tiny and weird. So no one thought he was capable of anything. They were very, very wrong. Right. So we're going to move on now to some real evil shit he did. Keitano was definitely very dangerous. He seemed to have a morbid obsession with just like hurting people. From the age of eight, he would commit his first attempted murder. At eight? Eight. <gasps> because he was so small, parents of younger children seemed to, to trust him around their younger kids. But Keitano would take advantage of that. He made friends with a two-year-old named Miguel. How can you make friends with a two-year-old? They're not even people yet. He is so small at eight years old, he is similarly sized to a two-year-old. Fucking hell. Obviously, I'm not laughing at that. Like, it's just how he is. And it would, but like, as in, that's just a physical disability that he had given his father syphilis. But it's just insanely creepy. He's able to pretend he's so young. He's yeah, like a it's, wolf it's, in sheep's What's clothing. creepy about it is that he's m using it to his advantage. Exactly. Like how Arlene Wernos used the woman thing. Exactly. He promised Miguel candy and lured him out to a nearby secluded forested area. Once there, he simply threw Miguel into a ditch filled with thorny bushes. What, and just left him? Very luckily for Miguel, a police officer happened to be nearby, as this was quite a secluded area, like it's very lucky, and he heard Miguel's screams. Caetano was taken to the police station, but he's a kid. Like, he was just sent home. Well, they're not going to send him to jail. Yeah, they're not going to say, oh, because eight-year-olds don't understand what death is, let alone murder. They're not going to say, oh, you tried to kill something. Yeah. Someone, a ch baby. About a year later, he led Anna Neri, who was 18 months old, into a different area and started Whoa. to hit her head with a rock. Whoa. Again, the child was crying and a police officer noticed and broke up the attack. But again, he's like nine, but he looks about four. The police officer was like, oh, no problem here. It's just a fight between children. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah, again, it's just bad boy, don't do it. Stop yeah. it. That's, it's like, that's it's, rough. The thing. police officer is just like, ah, oh, it's just a harmless little fight between children. And Keitano's like in the corner making a fucking prison knife out of an action man. Like, <laughs> it's terrifying. Uh, in 1906, Keitano would have been about 10 at this point. A girl who was believed to be called Maria went missing. Sources were a little like slim on this. Uh, I think she may have been unnamed, but some said she was called Maria. She would never be found. Uh, Keitano would later take credit for this. He would describe taking her again to that ditch and attempting to strangle her. When that didn't work, he allegedly buried her alive under dirt and rubbish. Oh my God. And he's what, nine? He's 10 at this point. Okay. Now this, Still is, this, is, this is like a connection to Pee Wee Gaskins. But um, that he, he seems, I think he has a habit of exaggerating. He clearly loved to aggravate people and upset people. And giving details like this obviously did that. Like, I'm not saying he didn't hurt her. Yeah. But I think he loved the negative attention. He loved the infamy. Also, coming from a family with 10 children, you're going to want, you're going to be a bit attention seeking just by nature. That I mean, yeah. I, I would imagine all 10 of those children would be because there is only so much attention you can get when there's 10 of you and two parents. Yeah, and Fiore doesn't seem like the most attentive father. Yeah. Um, a few days after this event allegedly happened, Fiore found a shoebox in his son's room. Inside were the family's pet canaries. 
I thought you were going to say fingers or some shit. No, no, no. They were all dead and their eyes had been removed. Ugh. So we hit number one on the McDonald triad, animal abuse. Yep. Boom, right there. He went to the police and pleaded with them to do something about Keitano. The police, kind of surprisingly because he was 10, but kind of unsurprisingly because what he's done, they agreed and took him away for two months. I imagine in like a juvenile facility of some kind. Yeah, I can't imagine he went to max for yeah. adults or anything. When he came back, he immediately returned to his old ways, but with one big thing, masturbation. Well, actually, if Keitano was in proportion, it was probably a small thing. Hey, A lot of dick jokes in this episode. Jesus Christ. I mean, we are children. Yeah, that's true. He would masturbate several times a day to thoughts of violence and murder. In 1908, when he was 12, he found a young boy named Severino, who was only two years old, playing on his own. With the promise of sweets, again, he lured him to a warehouse. He then began to attempt to drown the boy in a horse trough. Jesus Christ. The owner of the warehouse heard the noise and went to investigate. And this is where Keitano would learn a useful trick that would help him for the rest of his evil career. Lying and saying he was actually trying to help the victim. Ah, sneaky. He said that a strange woman in black had been trying to kill Severino and that he had arrived just in time to save him. The man believed him and Keitano even took the police to the place he claimed he had been tracking and following the lady in black the next day. Wow. Six days after this, this is so fucked up, Basically, at this point, it turns into a bit of a list of some of the stuff he's done. Okay. Six days after this, he burned the eyelids of a 22-month-old child. I'm sorry. Rewind. How do you burn off the eyelids and not Burned. Like... Didn't burn off. With a cigarette. Oh, okay. Okay. I was going to say, how do yeah. you burn those off and... Yeah. Gross. Um, at this point, his parents had had enough of this insane, violent behavior, and they took him to the police again. Fair enough. The police sent him to the colony of smaller peace... For three years, not gonna lie, I don't know what that is, but um, apparently it was a place that was renowned for intense abuse and punishment. Okay, uh, which would only make Keitano worse. Um, there were several es escaped attempts, but they were all thwarted. He was eventually released in December 1911 when he was 15. I'd love a movie about this where the escape attempts are included and stuff because I just find escapes so fascinating. It's so, so interesting. He immediately went back to his old ways, but this time a lot like Karl Panzram. After spending time in rehabilitative centres, deaf, like, air quotes, rehabilitative centres, mm. he was much colder and uncaring. Yep, yep, yep. As well as Panzram, he did, began to drink heavily. This came with extreme headaches, during which times Keitano was unable to suppress the urge to kill. So that's quite Dharma, actually. Yeah, very Dharma. Dharma needed to drink so he could. Keitano, like, when he drank, he couldn't not. Right. It's very similar, though. S yeah, similar. Uh, but he did find a second outlet... And a second check on the McDonald triad, arson. That's two for two. I don't know how that phrase works. Two out of three. Two out of three. He has yeah. two out of three. Yeah. Um, he would start fires constantly and was responsible for the burning of a brick factory, a station full of streetcars and two houses. Did he get caught for any of these? No. Wow. He loved watching the firemen battle with the flames because it made it feel like he was responsible for these men's hardship and pain. That is quite disturbing. Yes. The next year, the body of a 13-year-old boy named Arturo was found. Unless you believe Caetano's story about the young girl he buried alive, which I personally don't, then I think this is his first murder. Okay. Arturo was found beaten, partially clothed with a cord wrapped around his neck. Caetano would later admit to taking the boy to an empty house, covering his mouth, and proceeding to torture him by whipping him with a tree branch. Is that the cause of death, the whipping? No. When he got bored of this, he strangled Arturo and left him in the house. Ugh. 
Now, March the 7th, only a couple of months after this murder, a young girl named Raina screamed in pain as she realised someone had set her dress on fire. What? Just in public? And her yeah. dress is just on fire? Yes. Ooh. This is so sad. This is so heart-wrenching. Her grandfather, in an attempt to save her, ran from across the street, but was hit by a car and killed instantly. No. Yeah. <gasps> Raina was taken to hospital with severe burns and she died 16 days later. That is absolutely tragic. Oh my yeah. gosh. Later that year, he tried to kill another boy in a warehouse. He tied two-year-old Russo up, but before he could do anything worse, someone heard the screams and the police arrived. Caetano, again, would say that he heard this boy screaming and got there just in time to save him from a mystery attack. And I mean, I guess he's so small that they're going to say, what's more likely, that you ran in, startled an attacker and they left, or that you actually overpowered this person? Yeah. He's so underwhelming. He's a bit like Ed Gein, where they were like, there's no way you could dig up those graves. Yeah. But he could, yeah. and they all underestimated him. Yeah. Um, since they didn't have any real evidence to dispute this claim, they let him go. Um, although, and this is really shitty, like, uh, there are some reports, not necessarily true, but they're definitely there in the sources, that the mother of young Russo actually gave Caetano money as a reward for saving her son. No. Yeah. <gasps> By the way, this this both of our stories are quite dark. I think it's a reflection of how we feel, illness-wise. Yeah, yeah. But I, I you know, so I apologise for this episode being a bit dark. Apologies. Sorry. <laughs> Wait, should we just do like four fart noises? Oh, I can burp on command. You ready? Ah, uh, nice. Thanks. Cool. Now I'll get back to the horrible crimes. There were a few more incidents like this. One being that Katona just started beating a little girl in the middle of the street. He doesn't fucking care for at no all. reason. Like he just hit her. Oh, so far he's responsible for three deaths. Two were very intentional, and a whole load of attempted murders. But there would be one more before he got caught. He had an argument with his father and stormed out of the house. He wandered round until he saw what he described as an angel playing in the street. Uh oh. This angel was Hezual. I believe that's how it's pronounced. J e s u a l Hezual, and he was three years old. He lured the boy away with a promise of sweets again and took him to an abandoned building. Hezuel begins to get scared and tried to get away, but Keitano picked him up and takes him inside. Taked him? <laughs> I've written this in the first person. Did you just say taked him inside? <laughs> That's some levity for you all. Sam's bad at words. I, I, I tookened him. I, he tookened him I inside. I done did taked him. Oh, I done did taked him. Um, he take. He, oh, he took him inside. There we go. Once there, he found some ropes that builders had been using and wrapped it 13 times around Hezuel's throat. He attempted to strangle him, but the boy was fighting back and Keitano was unable to finish. So he went outside to look for another murder weapon. It was outside that he saw a man walk up behind him. It was Hezuel's father who was looking for him. He approached Keitano and asked him if he had seen his son. Keitano was seen around the neighbourhood a lot and might know where he was. He replied, I don't know anything about your son, mister. I would go to the police if I was you. Go now. Hurry, the police will help you find him. What a sneaky little bastard. I know, right? The boy's father followed his orders, and Keitano returned to Hezuo with a rock and a large builder's nail. Poor this is a little thing. graphic. He used the rock as a hammer to drive the nail into Hezuo's skull, killing him instantly. So the father went to the police and told them about what had happened. He told them about a strange, big-eared, small boy. The police, knowing about Keitano and knowing about some of the stuff he'd done... And I mean, even if they didn't know about him, that description is... Pretty very. Uh... 
They went to look around and a shop owner said she has seen Hezuo with a strange, small, large-eared boy and heard him promise Hezuo candy. So the police and the father went back to the warehouse and found the murder scene. Keitano hadn't moved anything or covered anything up. It was exactly as he'd left it. A crime did he, did scene. Did not think he was going to get caught? Because the father had He didn't seen him seem there. to care. Huh. He really didn't seem to care. A crime scene was set up, but that didn't stop Keitano showing up to have a look at his handiwork. Apparently, he was upset that the police had removed the nail from the boy's head. Oh my God, what a little psycho. Yeah. And the other people at the scene reported he made an odd comment about it before running away. Don't know what the comment was, but it was odd enough that num- a number of people were like, that was odd. The police set up a post at Keitano's house and arrested him without any trouble. He then began to confess to everything he had done. I believe this shows he was a narcissist because it seems like he wanted them to know so he could be like proud of it. Oh yeah, and probably that's why he exaggerated as well because he wanted the glory. Exactly. Like the story before, he wants them to be horrified. Like the same way he liked seeing the firemen fight the fires he started or the mourning victims at a crime scene. Yeah. Or the mourning victims' families at a crime scene. Yeah. That he wanted them to be horrified. He wanted to see their reaction. Coupled with his confession, two witnesses, and his sister's testimony of finding blood on his clothes, Keitano was charged with three murders and 11 assaults and attempted murders. That is a lot for what? He must be 12 now? 15. 15, okay. The public wanted the death penalty, but since he was only fucking 15, he was sent to a mental hospital. While there, he would do a bunch of horrible and crazy shit. He assaulted and injured two inmates, one of whom was in a wheelchair. The next thing feels exactly what an American high school movie set in a horrific hellish prison for the criminally insane would be, which is he strangled a cat and tossed the corpse on the fire. The other inmates were furious about this because the cat was the prison's mascot. Oh. Like, oh, you fucking killed our mascot. What's going on here? They beat him so much for his clear lack of not showing school pride and not supporting the school team at nationals. They spent 20 days in hospital. Oh my God. Well, I mean, you know what? No sympathy for him. Yeah, none. Fuck that guy. In 1936, he requested his freedom after spending 24 years in that hospital. But it was denied because the doctors said that, quote, he was a stupid idiot. Fair. That's a doctor's quote. (laughs) Yeah. And um, that is a sound... What, what do they call when, when you're ill and the doctor says what it is? I was going to make a joke. Diagnosis. Like, yeah. It's, a, it's an excellent diagnosis. I had a, I had a brain fart. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. Poorly. I'm sorry, uh, sir, but you have a bad case of being a fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid it's terminal. Um, so basically, to finish up, he was found dead in his cell in 1944, having spent 32 years in prison, just like your guy, in a mental uh-huh. hospital. You know, if we were playing the game and we already knew about these cases, we'd use we the other have done one. Each other's, yeah. yeah. He died of complications from stomach problems, which seems fitting as he came into the world with a messed up stomach and left because of it. Very nice. Just to close out with a couple of interesting things. When the prison closed in 1947, all the graves of the inmates were dug up. It was discovered that Keitano's bones were missing. What? This is because someone had made a paperweight out of one of his bones and gave it to the last director of the prison as a farewell gift. To be fair, I would love something what like that. What a gift, right? And finally, something still horrible, but quite light compared to the rest of the story. In 1927, Keitano had his giant ears pinned back. This was because, like, I'm, I'm not messing with you here. This is because they thought it could have been the cause of all his evilness. Like what? fucking, Like fucking biblical Samson's power coming from his hair. They thought he was, like, picking up evil microwaves with his, like, face dishes. Oh, my gosh, that is just... 
Dumbo had the biggest ears and he was a gentle giant. Yeah. That logic is not sound. It doesn't make any sense. Big ears doesn't mean big bastard. That didn't make any sense. That was a terrible joke. That was brilliant. But anyway, to finish off, that's the story of Caetano Santos, Caetano Santos Godino, or the Macrotus Runt. The Macrotus Runt. I think that's how you say it. Either way, we're done. Yeah. So that was our stories. Um, I really hope you enjoyed those ones. They were pretty dark. I am aware of that. That was quite a dark episode. Yeah. Don't really have anything positive to yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, what are we, what well, I mean, we just came back from Dublin. We can say that that was lovely. Dublin was awesome. If you want to see some creepy stuff, we saw at the Dead Zoo, which is what they call their Natural History Museum because it's like a zoo, but everything's dead. It has a huge dead. collection of like taxidermized animals. It's, it's amazing. It's really cool. We've got some photos up on our Instagram. Uh, we also went to the Kilmainham Jail. That was really fun. Uh, again, on our Instagram, little story about Maud Gone, who was an inspiration for one of my tattoos. Just yeah. Yeah, if you want a bit of cheering up, go see how much fun we had. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you find you can find us on iTunes. Uh, if you give us a five star review, that'd be awesome. And we'll uh, give you a shout out. Give you a little shout out. Yeah. Same for our Facebook page. Give us a five star review on there. Give the page a like, and we will give you a shout out here. And you can follow us on Twitter at Killing It Crime and on Instagram at Killing It Crimecast. Email us at killingitcrimecast at gmail.com. And become a patron, and you get stuff. You get free stuff. And buy our merch, and you get merch. And yeah. And depending on the tier of Patreon, you will... No, what I meant to say was it doesn't matter what tier of Patreon you are because you would still get ad-free episodes and some bonus content. Awesome. Uh, but depending on what tier, you get more free stuff. Cool. Well, we'll see you guys in the next one. Bye. Bye.